Amen. Well, welcome again to this Easter Sunday. Um, we are we're excited to be able to worship um, today, even though we can't physically be present with one another. It is still a joy uh, to be gathered at the same time in all the various places that we are, being able to worship the Lord Jesus, who was dead and is alive again. So in, on this day, we are going to finish up looking at John 11 together. We're going to be reading John 11, verses 38 through 45. And it says this. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father God, we come to you in faith, trusting that you will speak to us through this word today. We thank you for the ways that your word reveals your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord Jesus, because you are our king who is alive, who is risen. You have conquered sin. You have conquered death. And we thank you, Lord God, that that, that aspect of who you are comes through so clearly in this passage. Please open our eyes, ears, and hearts to receive your word. May we believe that you are the risen one the Savior of the world. And may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, sometimes life becomes very clear for us. We all like to forget that one day we will die. We like to forget that there's more to life than career or pleasure or even the, the relationships that we have closest to us, friends and family. We like to forget the fact that one day death will steal everything we love from us. And the story in John 11 Lazarus' dead body stood as an unavoidable reality for everyone that was present that day. 
Death stood like a massive boulder in the middle of the road. It had to be dealt with. The reality of our mortality came into crystal focus for everyone there. And the fact that you are watching this at home and cannot be present with us in the church building today is proof positive that, that, that the same thing should be true for us. Life has become clear for us during this coronavirus crisis. There is no avoiding the hard realities that 20,000 people, 20,000 of our, of our fellow countrymen and women have died from this disease. There's no getting around the disruption of life that's occurred, the curbing of our freedoms and the destruction of our economy that this whole thing has caused. And yet, in the midst of the dark and depressing clarity that Lazarus's death brought about 2,000 years ago, there, right in the middle, was Jesus. Jesus, in his full humanity, going and visiting a sick friend, comforting one grieving sister, weeping with another, and not only was Jesus showing his humanity, there he was showing his divinity, fulfilling what he said he would do in John chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. He said, There truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life himself. We celebrate Easter because of what Jesus said in this passage. In, 11, in chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We celebrate Easter because whoever believes in him, even though they die, yet they shall live. We celebrate Easter because in his resurrection, Christ demonstrated his divinity, that he put sin to death, he put death to death, and he opened a way for all people everywhere to receive new life in his name. At the very beginning of that day in Bethany, life became very clear for everyone there, and it has become much clearer for us in this crisis, sitting on our couches on this holy day confined to our homes for weeks. But I believe that this moment in our history gives us a unique spiritual opportunity. In raising Lazarus from the dead, Christ foreshadowed his own death and resurrection. And he gives us a picture of our death and resurrection as well. He gives us a picture of what it means to believe in him, to put our faith in Christ. And that's what I want to unpack for us today, a life that does not end in death. Now we're told in the passage that as Jesus came to the tomb, which was just a, a, a cave with a, a stone rolled over it, that Jesus was, was deeply moved. So that he was moved again. Jesus, 
in this moment was not a, a critical, objective, outside observer. Jesus' masculinity wasn't defined by his ability to keep other people out of his emotional state. No, this was a difficult moment, and Christ's emotions you know, met that moment where it ought to have been. He had a friend who was dead. He had other friends who were grieving the death of their loved one. Christ's strength didn't come in, in some kind of Victorian stoicism. His strength came in entering the pain of others and allowing himself to feel with them. Now, some of us might struggle to be empathetic when others are having a tough time. Some of, have, some of us have a hard time understanding each other's pain. Jesus' response in this passage reveals that the brokenness of those of us who, who keep emotionally distant from other people. What, what Christ is showing us in part here is that real humanity, true humanity, comes in really seeing other people, in really listening, and being willing to, to walk with them through whatever they're going through especially in their suffering. And, and yet notice in the, in the passage, in the story, that, that, that Jesus' empathy doesn't lead him to walk on tiptoes around the situation. You know, some of us, if a friend or a loved one is going through something difficult, some of us are hesitant to speak truth to that person. We express empathy, we come alongside. Well, it's, it's really sad that, that your dog died, I'm so sorry but we fail to say what needs saying for our friends or loved ones good. Do you really think it's a good idea to stuff old Spot, put him in a corner of your living room and construct a shrine around him? Maybe that's not such a great plan. We say to each other, oh, I'm so sorry that you're having an economic hard time, you lost your job, whatever. But we don't say anything when our friend decides that, that they're going to respond to that circumstance by binge-watching Netflix for three weeks with a, with, a, with a bottle of Jack in their hands, or when they decide to, to move to Wisconsin on a whim and live in an ashram without asking anybody if they think it's a good idea. And rather than speak the truth in love, we empathize to the other person's detriment and lack the courage to say what they need to hear. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He steps boldly to the front of the scene and says, Take away the stone. Open up the grave. Dig up the coffin. Take the ashes off the mantelpiece. He feels his friend's pain, but that doesn't stop him from moving toward them in healing and wholeness, even when they don't fully understand what he's doing. And Martha, in the story, very clearly does not understand what Jesus is doing. I think Martha should be the patron saint of the practical person. Her head isn't in the clouds. Her feet are, are planted very firmly in the, the concrete world of the mundane and every day. She says to Jesus, Lord, by this time there will be an, or an odor for he has been dead for four days. She's, she's telling Jesus, Jesus, if we move the stone, it's going to stink. 
I don't know about you, but I need Marthas in my life who will remind me of practical reality when flights of fancy might carry me away. But sometimes, sometimes, earthly practicality must give way to the heavenly. Sometimes the temporal must yield to the eternal. Jesus responded to Martha by saying, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The practical wisdom of everyday life is important and necessary, but it must bow the knee at the throne of grace. It must remember that, that God sees not as man sees, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the, the, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For practical wisdom will inevitably avoid the awful reality of sin and death and the glorious reality of God's gargantuan grace to swallow death and sin forever. Practical wisdom seeks control. It looks for a, a happy medium in all things. But Jesus is not a medium God. Jesus died and is alive again, and he holds the keys to death and Hades. Jesus doesn't want moderation in times of crisis. He wants us instead to believe and to see the glory of God. But in order for us to see God's glory, in order to be brought to our knees in faith, he knows what we need. What we need is to come to grips with our weakness. He knows that we must reckon with our mortality. He knows we must first see a picture of our own sin. And so that day, they rolled away the stone. And the stench of death wafted over everyone there and settled on them like the thickest of San Francisco fogs. Have you ever smelled death? Maybe a rodent in your house died in the walls somewhere, or maybe you came across something decomposing in a wooded area. If you haven't ever smelled death, just imagine the worst possible skunk stink. Make it thicker in the air than a skunk would be. And add a dash of your greatest fear and dread wafting into your nostrils. Now imagine. Imagine you're sitting in that stink. And the king of kings is just standing there, standing there quietly outside the tomb. You're busy suppressing the, the gag reflex that the most disgusting thing you've ever smelled no doubt brings about. And the king, whom you respect and revere and would gladly follow to the ends of the earth, what does the king do? He doesn't speed things along to, to take care of you. He doesn't say, oh, hold on, everybody, I know this smells really bad, but we're going to get through this. No. The king 
stops and prays. Of all the moments in all of history to say a prayer, and it's a lengthy one, it's the longest thing Jesus says in the whole passage, of all the moments to pray, Jesus prays in the stink of the dead man. Now put yourself in their shoes. You're there, afraid you're going to vomit. The stench from the dead man is so terrible. And you're trying, you're trying with all of your willpower to respect Jesus. And you're thinking to yourself, Martha told Jesus what was going to happen. But he didn't listen. Instead, he just said something about the glory of God. And now, not only are you dying of this stench, but, but Jesus starts to pray are you kidding? It's unbelievable, Jesus. What could he possibly be thinking in that moment? What Jesus, I believe, was thinking in that moment is that this is what it takes to believe. This is what it takes. It's what it takes for us to see the glory of God for what it is. If you and I are ever going to trust in Christ, then we have to be disabused of the notion that we can trust ourselves. We have to recognize how desperately unreliable we all really are when it comes to spiritual things. We have to stare death in the face and let the stench of sin fill our nostrils. We have to come to the end of our own capacity before we relent and cry out to Jesus for salvation. See, the dead man in the tomb is a picture of our sin. The stench of death is the inevitable end of every human being on this planet. It is the hard reality that must be faced if we are ever going to let Christ work in us, we will not receive God's grace unless we're desperate for it. We will not look away from ourselves until we see ourselves through the lens of the holiness of God. See, Scripture is, is full of images of sin and, and what, what sin really looks like from a spiritual perspective. It, it looks like an adulterous woman serially cheating on her faithful husband. It looks like a, a spoiled, ungrateful son who blows a fortune and is relegated to eating the slop with the pigs. It looks like a valley of dry, dead bones with no hope of life in them. It looks like an orphaned infant left on a garbage heap to die. It looks like a man dead for four days, decomposing, the stench of corruption unbearable, lying lifeless in a tomb. Friends, without Christ, we are Lazarus. 
1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that the sting of sin is death. Sin is what introduced death into creation. Sin is what has destined us, all of us, for the grave. Sin is our rebellion against God, rebellion against life and love himself. And that is what has put us in our predicament. And it's only by facing the reality of our sin and, 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 the, and the death that will result from our sin that we will believe and see the glory of God as Jesus says we should in this passage. And that's why I believe that coronavirus is a rare opportunity from a spiritual perspective. It's a rare spiritual opportunity for us who live in a culture obsessed with comfort, distanced from creation, and avoidance of our ultimate reality. We are not invincible. We are not impervious to illness. There is no vaccine for our spiritual sickness. All of us, all of us are sin sick. And all of us are terminal. Coronavirus will, Lord willing, eventually pass. And life will eventually return to something like normal. But I pray, I pray right now that today, would let the dark cloud of, you would let the dark cloud of this disease bring you to the end of yourself. That in the midst of this crisis, you would recognize your own insufficiency before God. That, that, that your fears in this crisis would make you spiritually uneasy. That your susceptibility to death out there somewhere would lead you to something higher than yourself. That you would smell death at your door and trust not in yourself, not in the government, not in technology, not in the stock market, not in your career, not even in other people. That you would trust not in your weakness that looks like strength, but that you would submit yourself, your whole self to Jesus Christ and the resurrection that is your life. I pray that you would go, that you would go to the one who has the ear of his Father in heaven and through whom you and I now have access to the Father in heaven, the highest authority in all of the universe. That you would empty yourself of yourself and cling to your only hope in life and death, the Lord Jesus See, Lazarus' death is a picture of our sin. But then, Jesus points to a picture of our life in him. He points to a life that does not end in death when he calls to the dead man with the authority of all of heaven. When he calls out, Lazarus, come out. Brothers and sisters, that is what Jesus says to 
all of us by the power of his spirit. In fact, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, Jesus is calling to you right now. Jesus is saying, come out. Come out of yourself. Come out of your sin. Come out of your self-centeredness. Come out of your pride and your self-seeking and your idolatry. Come out of your loneliness. Come out of your nursed hurts. Come out of your resentments and bitterness. Come out of your fear. Come out of your desire for control. Come out of death and walk anew into life. Just like the, the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, you and I, Scripture says, are dead in our trespasses and sins without the miraculous grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is calling. He's calling you to enter his life, to enter his love, to enter his grace. Will you hear him? Will you obey? Will you respond to him today? Lazarus was dead, but he responded to the voice of the Savior. But when he came out, he was all, all tied up wrapped in linen cloths, as was the custom at that time. And so as he came out, a little mummified, Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Friends, what's binding you today? What's holding you back? What keeps you from following Christ? You may confess Christ and believe in your head that, that Jesus is king. But your life might not look like it. You may have come out of the tomb, so to speak, but, but your life is all tied up in sin and fear and, and, and yourself. What holds you back? What holds you back from, from running to the Lord? What keeps you from obedience? What hinders you from holiness? You know, St. Augustine once said that, that when you confess, you come out. You come out of the tomb like Lazarus did. I want to encourage you to confess your sin. To cast aside those things that would, that would tie you to this world and your selfish desires. To let yourself be free, unbound by the one who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Let Christ awake you to the reality of sin and death. Let him, let him bring you into the glorious light of his truth. Let him bring you into the light of his resurrection, the light of his love for you. Let him take you out of the fear of, of coronavirus. Let him take you out of the selfishness that produces a death far worse than any disease could produce. Let yourself hear his voice calling to you today. Come out. Come out. Put yourself at his mercy as he speaks his freedom over you. Unbind him. Unbind her. And let them go. 
let yourself walk in the glorious holiness of your Savior. He has done all for you. He died to cleanse us from sin and rose to make us participants in his glorious resurrection. See his glory with your eyes of faith and walk in his light now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ for us. He is the resurrection and the life. May we put our faith in him and in him alone. In his name we pray. Amen.